everyone, I'm Charlotte. I'm Dina. And welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Um, how are you doing this week? I am good. It's Saturday. It's early. I had my breakfast of champions that consisted of coffee, weed, and now an energy drink. So, I'm, yeah, I'm great. How about you? Uh, I'm pretty good. In true British fashion, all I've had is two cups of tea. So that's going to get me through until about 3 p.m. And I don't want to hear anybody giving me shit. It's the way I am, okay? Um, and also, that's what I need to get through, because today we got a, another gnarly, old-timey crime one for you. I think it's gonna really, um, give you nightmares. And this one's bad, so seriously, like, get your blanket today, get your joint, get your coffee, get whatever you need that's gonna help you get through this, because we're giving you a heads up. She's, uh, she's a rough one. She, yeah, she's a, she's a gnarly, gnarly lady, that's for damn sure. As you may already know, female serial killers are rare. In fact, according to Peter Vronsky in his book Female Serial Killers, How and Why Women Become Monsters, only 16% of serial killers apprehended in the United States since 1820 were female. It is even more rare to find a female serial killer who acts alone. The least common reason for murder among serial killers is uh, sexual gratification. Women who fall under the serial killer category usually kill for money, financial gain, or revenge. That basically makes the woman that we're covering today a unicorn. We are covering a woman who was a serial killer that acted by herself, who claimed her motive was sexual gratification. Today, we are covering the one, the only, Jolly Jane Toppin. Oh my god, she was horrible. Jane is considered a angel of death style killer, meaning that she killed people under her care. Um, what makes her stand out are her motives. Most killers that fall under this category kill for financial gain. Jane killed for a different and much more sinister reason. But before we do get into that, let's get into her early life. So buckle in, friends. This is one hell of a story. Jane Toppin was born Honora Kelly, or I should say Honora Kelly, on March 31st, 1857, to Irish immigrants Bridget Kelly and Peter Kelly. She was one of what is likely four girls that were born to the Kellys. Not a ton is known about the other uh, siblings, but we will cover what we could find out a little bit later. Bridget died about a year later of tuberculosis, or consumption, as it was known in those days. Peter Kelly was left to raise his children alone. Peter wasn't really father material at all. His nickname was Kelly the Crack. And while he reportedly had a job as a tailor in their hometown of Boston, Massachusetts, it didn't last long. It is said that Peter lost his mind while the girls were young. And he didn't just, like, lose his mind. He, uh, it's said that he actually sewed his eyelids shut at one point. Yeah, it was a bad time all around for the Kelly family. And in 1863, Peter took Honora and her sister Delia to an orphanage called the Boston Female Asylum. We were able to track down the records from the Boston Female Asylum, and sure enough, there is an entry for Delia Josephine and Honora A. Kelly, saying that they were admitted in February of 1863. The records state, February 1863, the committee reported that two children have been admitted since the last meeting. They had no mother and had been offered for admission by their father, Mr. Kelly, whose habits evidently rendered him an unfit protector for his little girls. Their appearance indicated that they had been rescued from a very miserable home. And there Jane lived with her sister until November of 1865, until she was legally bound to Mrs. Ann Toppin of Lowell, Massachusetts. Essentially, she was someone who would live in their home as a maid. An eight-year-old live-in maid. 
Unfortunately, Delia isn't really reported much after this, and all we really know is that she died relatively young and lived her life working as a sex worker in Boston. There aren't any further entries about her in the asylum archives. Immediately after she entered their home, Honora Kelly became Jane Toppin. While it sounds like this was in an effort to welcome her into their family, this really wasn't the case. Jane wasn't technically adopted by the family. She became an indentured servant, and they changed her name from Kelly to Toppin to hide the fact that she was Irish. At this time, there was a huge stigma against the Irish population in Massachusetts. Anne Toppin was reported to be extremely cruel to Jane, but she did begin to develop a sisterly relationship with Elizabeth Toppin, who was Anne's daughter. They went to school together and would spend a lot of their time together. Unfortunately, due to the cruelty at the hands of Mrs. Toppin, Jane would develop a bitterness and hate towards Elizabeth. When Anne died, Elizabeth would take over the house. Because of the way she had been treated, Jane developed a loud and sometimes boisterous personality and would adamantly deny her Irish heritage. She was even known to make offensive anti-Irish and anti-Catholic jokes around the Protestant circles that she hung around in. She was relatively well-liked by most people, and uh, it soon became known that Jane liked to lie, so that didn't last very long. She would lie about her past and where she came from and would often blame other people for things that she had done. During her senior year of high school, Jane met a man who she fell in love with. They were ready to wed, and apparently the man left her at the altar, which, rightfully so, shocked her and completely broke her heart. Jane would never be the same again. She became incredibly depressed and believed that she was not worthy of love. She made numerous attempts on her life at this time. At 18 years old, Jane graduated from Lowell High School. She was a pretty good student and wanted to become a nurse. The Toppin family at this point freed her from her indenture and gave her $50 to start her life. Jane chose to stay in the household as a servant. Elizabeth Toppin soon married a man named Oramel Brigham, a church deacon, who moved into the Toppin house. At this point, something happened that caused Jane to leave their home suddenly. Despite their history, Elizabeth remained kind to her and told her she would always be welcome back. It seems like despite the complicated feelings that Jane had towards her, Elizabeth still cared about her a lot. At this point, Jane was older and ready to move forward with her life. In 1887, Jane began training as a nurse in the Cambridge Hospital. She lied on her entrance exam about her suicide attempts and her mental state and hid her just overall state of mind from them. Despite that, she was incredibly loved by her patients and was well known for her happy demeanor, which earned her the nickname that would live on in history, Jolly Jane. Her patients really seemed to love her, but her co-workers hated her. She was known for lying and being a dramatic gossip who seemed to enjoy it when students that she didn't like weren't doing well. She even tried to convince them that the Tsar of Russia had offered her a nursing job, which she had declined, which was obviously not true. She was also suspected of stealing on several occasions. Basically, like everyone we've covered so far, Jane clearly had a lying problem. Seems like whether they loved her or hated her, no one had a clue that they were amongst some of the most notorious women in American history. And to give you a little peek into where this story is going to go, we wanted to share a Jane Toppin quote about her life goals. That is my ambition to have killed more people, more helpless people than any man or woman who has ever lived. So yeah, the, the story gets pretty dark real quick. Like we mentioned, Jane's patients loved her, and she sure seemed to love them right back. In fact, when she really liked a patient, she would make sure they stayed as long as possible. She would fake their charts or even give them the wrong medicine to stop them from recovering quickly and leaving her. 
Jane began to use her more sick patients as guinea pigs. She began to secretly conduct scientific experiments on them, uh, usually using morphine or atropine, so that she could see the effects of it. She preferred atropine because it would cause more animated symptoms. It is also reported that this is the time that Jane began crawling into bed with her patients. She would wait until they were unconscious and lay with them. One patient, Amelia Finney, had this experience and lived to tell the tale. She reported that she had been admitted for surgery and that Jane was her nurse. After she came out of surgery, Jane fed her some bitter-tasting medicine to help her with the pain. She remembers slipping in and out of consciousness before she passed out, and she remembers Jane getting into bed with her and kissing her face. Ugh. Luckily for her, someone was heard approaching the room and Jane ran off. Amelia Finney wouldn't tell anyone what had happened to her until 1901 after she'd heard the notorious story of Jane. Up until that point, she'd believed that what happened to her was a dream, and whether she was convinced or not, it was probably easier for her, for her to just continue to think that it was a dream. That poor woman. She was in a very vulnerable position, and I am not surprised that she chose to believe that either. The idea of this friendly and kind nurse crawling into bed with you and kissing your face until you lost consciousness is horrifying. She is very lucky that Jane had been scared off, otherwise she could have been her first victim, and I want everyone right now to go look up Jolly Jane's face, again, we're posting it on social media, and picture passing out, her crawling into bed with you, and then just seeing her kissing your face as you lose consciousness. Yeah, I mean, like, if you have a sleep paralysis demon, it ain't got nothing on Jane. It is Jane. <laughs> and we don't actually know whether or not Jane had sexual relations with any of her victims, because other than Amelia, we don't really know anything other than what Jane told the police after she had been arrested. She claims she didn't have sex with any of her victims, but that she did get sexual satisfaction from laying in bed with them as they died. Despite all this, Jane was seen to spend a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one time with her patients and appeared to care for them very well when other people were around. Because of her great performance at work, Jane was actually transferred to the Massachusetts General Hospital in 1889. When she arrived, Jane did well enough to be named the temporary representative of the head nurse who was currently away. Colleagues reportedly disliked her, and concerns grew over the way she appeared to medicate her patients without a lot of regard for the actual doses that they needed. It is reported at this time that many patients died under her care. And Cambridge Hospital was much bigger, which made it harder for Jane to fly under the radar with these experiments that she was doing, and she also had strange bedside habits. Soon enough, people were gonna notice that there was more to Jolly Jane that met the eye, and less than her, or rather less than a year after her arrival at Massachusetts General, she was fired. And it wasn't lying or her patients passing away suspiciously that got her fired either. She apparently left the ward without permission and that's what did it for them. At this point, Jane had actually passed her nursing final and had received a signed diploma, but she was not yet a licensed nurse, although she would shortly become licensed. Um, she returned briefly to the Cambridge Hospital, but after this, her reputation followed her around as well. What Jane didn't know was that she was now under heavy, heavy scrutiny and she was being watched much closer than she had before. Shortly after her return, she was then fired from Cambridge when she was caught overdosing a patient. Funny enough, it doesn't appear that there were any investigations uh, that were opened regarding any of these deaths. The majority of her coworkers hated her and her reputation as a nurse was quickly going downhill. This didn't stop her from charming the right people, and she developed a pretty impressive nursing career. 
despite all of the issues at work, the higher-ups actually seemed to like her enough because they recommended her as a private nurse to some of their wealthy patients. And soon, she was actually one of the highest-paid nurses around, making about $25 a week. Not only did she get fired for overdosing someone, the people who fired her somehow helped her find a way to make a substantial amount of money. Despite all of the issues at work, the higher-ups seemed to like her enough because they recommended her as a private nurse to some of their wealthy patients. And soon enough, she was one of the highest-paid nurses around, making $25 a week. So not only did she get fired for overdosing someone, the people who fired her somehow helped her find a way to make a substantial amount of money. This is a huge deal considering at this time in history, most women who worked were making around $5 a week. So Jane was actually making five times that. This didn't stop her from annoying some of her employers with lying and petty theft though. And apparently Jane had been arrested a few times for stealing at this point, but the charges never really stuck. In her spare time, Jane would drink a lot of beer, loudly tell lies whenever people would listen, and would often spread horrible rumors about people she knew. Jane remained depressed about her inability to find a husband. In 1885, Jane found herself living with an elderly couple named Israel and Lovey Dunham. Not much is known about them, but we know that she moved into their home and killed Israel Dunham that year. In 1897, Lovey also died under mysterious circumstances. However, possibly due to their age, their deaths weren't investigated very much. After all, Jane just appeared to be a nurse who lived with two elderly people that passed away. In August of 1889, Jane was reunited with her foster sister, Elizabeth. Elizabeth had reported to her that she was struggling with depression. They ended up meeting up at Jane's vacation home in Cape Cod because she was doing well enough as a nurse to afford a vacation home in 1889. It is claimed that during this time, Jane slowly poisoned the woman who loved her as a sister. One day, Jane took Elizabeth to the beach for a picnic, where she fed her cold corned beef, taffy, and mineral water, which had been laced with strychnine, which is an odorless and tasteless powder. Only a small amount is required to produce severe effects, and nowadays it's mainly used as a pesticide to kill small rodents and rats, that kind of thing. Strychnine or strychnine, depending on where you're from, uh, poisoning is pretty uncommon these days, but like Charlotte mentioned, it has the potential to be fatal in small doses and most patients die before they reach the hospital. The classical features of strychnine poisoning occur from 15 to 30 minutes after ingestion and include heightened awareness, muscular spasms, and twitches and hypersensitivity to stimuli. In large ingestions, full body convulsions, which the victim is fully conscious and aware of. Cause of death is usually respiratory arrest. So basically a person will die from a lack of oxygen because their lungs are spasming so severely. Simply put, it's not a nice way to go, and Jane knew that. Jane later reported about the incident. I held her in my arms and watched with delight as she gasped her life out. So yeah, this, this is how evil Jane was. Remember, this is someone who was basically a sister to her. They had grown up together. Jane had absolutely no remorse about what she had done, and clearly no issue with killing people close to her. Not only did she kill her, Jane immediately went to Elizabeth's husband, Oramel, and said that it was her sister's last wish for her to have her gold watch and chain, which Oramel let her have. All he knew was that Elizabeth had deeply cared for Jane, and this didn't raise any suspicions. 
on February 11th, 1900, Jane murdered her old friend Myra Connors. Myra held a position as a dining matron at the theological school, and Jane just wanted her job. She poisoned her with strychnine, just like she did with Elizabeth, and then made her way to the school, told the dean that Myra was going on an unexpected leave, and that was okay because she had trained Jane, and Jane would just take over for her. Jane obviously never received any training, and her co-workers quickly began to question why she had been given the job. Luckily, Jane was fired before she was able to claim any victims because of the complaints that were filed against her, mostly for stealing and lying. So shortly after that, Jane moved back to the Toppen home with the plan to marry Oromel, who, if you remember, was her sister Elizabeth's husband. Uh, he was not interested. She wanted to show him that she was useful and that she could make his life better. It was likely then that she just murdered his housekeeper, Edna, uh, Edna Bannister, who was 77 years old. Jane took over for her, and Oromel made it clear that he didn't want her as a housekeeper or a wife possibly because he was still mourning the very recent death of his wife, but also possibly because Jane was clearly not someone that he wanted to be involved with, and he could see that. Unfortunately, Jane didn't handle rejection very well, and she then decided to show him that he really needed her. She began to poison him slowly and then nurse him back to health over and over again. Apparently she did this a few times, and when it didn't work, they got into a fight one day, and she threatened to spread a rumor that he had gotten her pregnant. Oromel finally kicked her out of the house after all this, and that was a decision that very likely saved his life. It's around this time that Jane was hired to take care of a woman named Mary McClear. Jane had been recommended personally to Mary by her doctors as a trustworthy and skilled nurse. Soon after, Jane poisoned Mary and reportedly stole a bunch of her clothes. The thing that makes the Mary McClear murder stand out is that Mary was the only person at this point that Jane had killed who she didn't know very well. Up until then, she had only killed people that she knew personally or at least developed some kind of a relationship with. Mary was essentially a complete stranger to her. This series of events caused Jane to fall into another deep depression. She made an attempt on her life using morphine, but it didn't work and she ended up at the hospital instead. At this point, she went to visit a friend of hers, Sarah Nichols. And that brings us to the year 1901, the year that would guarantee Jane Toppin a spot in serial killer history. 1901 was a very, very busy year for Jane. At this point, Jane had moved and began living under new landlords, a couple named Melvin and Eliza Beadle. She ended up poisoning them, but luckily only enough to make them sick. She actually also poisoned their housekeeper, a woman named Mary Sullivan, but only enough to convince the Beatles that she was a drunk and she should be fired. She was, and of course, Jane took over. In the summer of 1901, a woman named Mary Maddie Alden, the owner of Jane's vacation home that she had rented, showed up at the Beatle house looking for Jane, claiming that she owed her $500. Jane invited her to stay over and gave her some poisoned mineral water, which made her sick. Jane then gave her some morphine to help with the pain. Over the course of seven days, Jane would bring Maddie in and out of consciousness, eventually plunging her into a deep coma that she would never come out of. She did all of this without the Beatles noticing. They even had a doctor visit Mary regularly, and he had no idea. 
Maddie had a husband named Alden Davis, who now needed someone to care for him. Of course, Jane convinced him that she was the right woman for the job, and he welcomed her into his home without knowing that she had been responsible for the death of his wife just days before. The thing that's very interesting about Jane is looking back at her crimes, we can see an incredibly clear pattern of getting a caretaker position through whatever means necessary so that she could be put into that position of power and control over someone and kill them. She would do it again and again. The fact that she was willing to earn the trust of people so quickly and so often shows how good she was at hiding her dark side and that makes her even more terrifying. Less than a week after she had arrived, James started setting fires in an attempt to kill Alden in his home. She first tried setting fire to a bunch of papers in a closet, but it was quickly noticed and put out. A few days later, James set fire to the pantry and left the house. Luckily, a passerby saw the smoke and the fire was again put out. A week later, Jane tried and failed again. It is likely that at least one of these fires was noticed by Genevieve Gordon, the youngest of the Davis daughters. She had remained at the home to make sure her father would do okay without his wife, Jane murdered her and attempted to pass it off as a suicide, saying that Genevieve was heartbroken over the loss of her mother and had taken her life because of it. Less than two weeks later, Jane poisoned Alden and a few days later murdered Minnie Gibbs, the last remaining daughter of the Davis family. What Jane didn't know was that Minnie Gibbs' father-in-law, Captain Gibbs, had grown suspicious of the fact that the entire Davis family had died so close together and in such similar ways. He hired a man named Leonard Wood, who was the top toxicologist in Massachusetts, to investigate further by exhuming the body of Minnie. It was determined that there was evidence that she had been poisoned, and an investigation began. And at this point, none of the murders, and there were many, that Jane committed earlier were tied to any of these cases. If Captain Gibbs hadn't pushed for this investigation, Jane would have just continued killing until someone else stopped her. At this point, she didn't appear to have any intention of slowing down. Quite the opposite. She was killing at a faster rate than she ever had before. It didn't take long for police to begin looking at Jane for the murders. After all, she was a nurse with a concerning work history and all of the victims had been poisoned. An investigator was assigned to keep an eye on her, and on October 29th, 1901, she was arrested, originally for the murder of Minnie Gibbs. Jane spent her time while waiting for her trial at the Barnstable Jailhouse in Massachusetts. This was a smaller jailhouse, and Jane quickly became friends with the wife of the jailer and convinced her that she was innocent. We aren't going to go too deep into the details of the trial, mostly because there was just a lot of back and forth and delays, which makes it kind of tedious, but we'll give you the main information that you need. On November 8th, 1901, Jane pled not guilty to the murder of Minnie Gibbs. Unfortunately, the state at this time was convinced that she had used arsenic to poison her victims because it had been found on all of the bodies. But it turns out that at the time, embalming fluid was mostly arsenic. This caused a standstill in court due to the fact that they couldn't determine how Jane would actually kill her victims. It was the father-in-law of Minnie Gibbs who suggested that Jane use morphine to kill them. Eventually, it was confirmed that all of the members of the family were poisoned. Once again, if Captain Gibbs hadn't been around, the story could have gone in a very different direction. But with a name like Captain Gibbs, you kind of have to be a hero. On December 6th of 1901, 23 members of a grand jury charged Jane with four counts of murder in the case of the deaths of the Davis family. She pled again, not guilty. On March 31st, 1902, newspapers reported that Jane had undergone psychiatric evaluations and a panel of experts declared her insane. 
Jane admitted to them that she had in fact murdered. She claimed to have done it 11 times. She also admitted to them that she had a sexual impulse to kill and that she enjoyed hurting people. This information changed everything and shocked everyone involved. A woman saying something like this now would likely shock people, but in 1902, the idea of a woman killing because it aroused her was something people genuinely could not wrap their heads around. On June 23rd, Jane's trial finally began. The actual trial took less than eight hours, and the jury only spent 20 minutes deliberating. Jane was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was sentenced to spend the rest of her life at the Taunton Insane Hospital. It is said that she appeared absolutely thrilled with this information and seemed convinced that she would be able to convince the hospital of her innocence pretty quickly. Jane didn't believe that she was insane or that there was anything really wrong with her at all, and she didn't expect to spend more than a few months at the hospital. Which brings us to something we want you to think about. Do you think Jane should have been found guilty? Or do you think that Jane talking about the fact that killing made her aroused proved that she was not within her right mind? It was later revealed that Jane had confessed even more to her longtime friend and defense lawyer, James Stewart Murphy. She told him that by her count, she had killed 31 people. In her confession, she admitted that she wanted the psychiatric panel to find her insane rather than be convicted guilty. She was proud of herself for being able to fool them. Jane spoke about her motives and why she killed. While she did steal a few items from patients, she admitted to killing to fulfill a sexual desire that she had. She claimed that the feeling of having control over someone and laying with them gave her an exquisite pleasure. Jane also claimed that she began to kill because of the heartbreak that she had endured while she was left at the altar. She added that her lack of a husband and children was the reason that she continued to kill. She explained, If I had been a married woman, I probably would have not killed all of those people. I would have my husband, my children, and my home to take up my mind. The idea of Jane as a mother is absolutely horrifying, and somehow I don't think a husband and kids would have remotely stopped her from killing. Jane showed absolutely no remorse regarding her crimes. The number of people that she admitted to killing also began to grow at this point, and she is quoted as saying, I have given the names of 31 persons I killed, but as a matter of fact, I killed many more whose names I cannot recall. I think it would be safe to say that I killed at least 100 from the time I became a nurse at Boston Hospital, where I killed the first one until I ended the lives of the Davies family. Now, serial killers aren't exactly the most trustworthy of folk, and while some serial killers hide their crimes and underreport how many people they have killed, there are definitely some that exaggerate their victims. At the end of the day, we don't know how many people Jane actually killed. Jane was caught poisoning her patients very early on, but there are probably a lot of times where deaths just went unnoticed and Jane got away with murder. She had a limitless victim pool and was relatively good at hiding what she had done. With all of this being said, Jane began to settle into life at Taunton. She began to develop a severe paranoia that someone was poisoning her food, which caused her to lose a substantial amount of weight. The newspapers at the time loved this and boasted that it was an ironic revenge and even taunted that she would likely die, but she didn't. Not a lot is known about her time at Taunton, but she was a relatively easygoing patient and was well-liked by staff. She was described as a quiet old lady, just another patient who caused no trouble. Her mental health would decline as she got older and Jane would eventually die at the age of 81 years old. And as far as we know, Jane never showed any remorse for any of her crimes. 
There's something about the fact that she legitimately doesn't think she had done anything wrong that makes her even more scary. Jane Toppin is truly someone we consider to be purely evil. Do you think that she outsmarted everyone by convincing them that she was insane? Or do you think that she was incredibly unwell and didn't realize it? Honestly, I wish we had more information about the things that she talked about with her psychiatrist because it's hard to know if the things she said were completely honest or if she was just lying to make herself appear worse than she was. I think her reasons for killing were motivated by a need for control and that control and domination gave her sexual gratification. She kind of tries to paint this sob story about how she killed because she didn't have a husband and kids, but it kind of just seems like she was a terrible person and I am not shocked at all that no one wanted to marry her. She was terrible because she killed people, but she overall just kind of seemed like a terrible person to be around. Jane was legitimately awful and she ruined a lot of lives just because it turned her on. I have to agree. I think she was undoubtedly mentally ill, but I think she still knew right from wrong, otherwise she wouldn't have tried to hide her crimes. If she really thought there was nothing wrong with what she was doing, I don't think she would have felt the need to cover them up. Um, I do think for her it was a big control thing, where she felt like other aspects of her life were out of control, especially after being left at the altar and being unable to find a husband, being fired from her jobs, so it probably brought her a lot of satisfaction to hold the lives of others in her hands. And obviously, like, the ease with which she kept getting away with it just fueled the power trip to escalate. And we want to know what all of you that are listening think, because as terrible as she was, I think we can all agree that the Jane Toppin story is absolutely haunting, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to be visiting an unsolved murder that we can't wait to share with you. Make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. You can also find us on social media. I'm ominous underscore walrus on Twitter and ominous walrus on Instagram. And I'm Dina V on Twitch, Dina V tweets on Twitter, and Dina V IG on Instagram. And if you have a case that you want us to cover, please let us know. We're always open to exploring new cases with you guys. Thanks for listening. This, this has, has been, been the Grim, Grim Curriculum. Curriculum.